Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by There and Federated Insurance. What happened? So there I was, Steve. There I was, about to enter mile 81 of a 100-mile race, and the race organizers are saying, you need to refill your water bottles. Let me refill your water bottles. I'm like, no, I'm fine. They're like, okay. Uh, and so I'm walking through. the. No, you need, sir, let me, let me, just let me fill that water bottle for you. And I am looking at them. I'm not saying anything. I look at my hands. At this point in the race, my hands are a little bit swollen. And it just dawns on me, I am made of water. <laughs> my whole body is water. I look at them. I look at myself. I'm like, why would I need water when I am water? And so I go through the aid station without filling up my water bottles. About five miles later, I realize, oh no, I just made a very bad mistake. Uh, I am made of water. I also need to drink water because I am sweating water. And uh, that's what happened when I started that final lap. <laughs> the final lap, so some hallucinations. How, how far were you into it at this point? So I was at, it was, they're about 20 mile loops. Uh, so I was about eight mile 80, 81. And uh, you know, there's three types of hallucinations that I experienced. One was you know, just seeing images that aren't there. So typically a face or, or, a, or like a gnome or something. Uh, the more freaky, freaky one is when you see movement that isn't there. So this is kind of what they call the witching hour between 2 and 4 a.m. Uh, the Catholics back in the Middle Evil, medieval days used to call it the witching hour because it's when uh, uh, the spirit world and the physical world are closest to each other. And so it outlaw activities during that time. But 2 to 4 a.m., things get really weird uh, once you've been up for, you know, for over 24 hours. And uh, you see movement that isn't there. And the third one is the logic starts to fall apart. You say, I don't need water because I am water. Uh, my, my left knee was experiencing a lot of pain, as you can imagine. And I had a blister on my right foot. And in my head, the logic tree said, if I stomp on my blister hard enough, the pain from my left knee will be overridden and it won't hurt anymore. <laughs> uh, so between turning down water, stomping on a blister to have the pain overcome my knee pain, those were some of the like logical hallucinations mm -hmm. that I started to go through. Oh, my goodness. That is, uh, that's wild. Yeah. So that, that, that's the final lap of a, of a hundred miler. Yeah. A hundred miler. My goodness. Uh, well, again, well done. Congrats on that. That's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that plan is to go do it again in about 20 weeks. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Right on. <laughs> well, before you too far, hello and welcome to the DYB podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneurial force from Minnesota. Uh, the Silicon Valley of painting. He started a student painting franchise, excuse me, started with a student painting franchise back in college and then started his own painting business after graduating with an economics degree. And it grew fast. And his quick growth led to him founding a holdings company with four of his best friends where they now make investments in other painting companies around the nation, as well as investing in multifamily real estate. His job title reads Synergy and Memes, and he serves as an active board member of ELF, his holding company, and a volunteer board member at the PCA. 
Now, quick aside, I first joined the PCA back when it was called PDCA when I was 19. I think this was 1998. I'm 45. So maybe some fact checkers can do the math for us there. And I cannot emphasize the change and uh, I don't know if it's okay to say turnaround that has happened in the PCA since back when, when I first started. It is uh, simply remarkable. And a lot of that is Jason's fault. So <laughs> thank you uh, for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's inspiring. Like I'm just, you know, redigging in. I've kind of taken a hiatus for a few years and I'm just really impressed. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, beyond business, he's interested in realizing human potential through ultra endurance races, as we had uh, just heard there in the opening. He's uh, finding family legacies by making family meetings cool again and conquering the fear of mammon, which we'll need to unpack for everybody by building assets in the trades and volunteering at the PCA. Quite simply, he uh, embodies innovation, leadership, and commitment to making a positive impact. Jason Paris, welcome back to the show, my friend. What an intro. Wow. Amazing. Thank you, Steve. Great to be back. It's been, uh, it's been five years, I think. Yeah. So you were, uh, let me think. I think you, you were maybe the second or third podcast I ever did back in the day. And our, I don't know if you know, remember this, but the title of our podcast uh, was 31-Year-Old Millennial, $3 million, Crushing Millennial Stereotypes, or something like that. I'm, I bungled it, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. like three, 3 million, 31 years old, Crushing Millennial Stereotypes. I first kind of hopped on the scene. And now I'm a middle-aged, uh, gray-haired old dude. Uh, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, you and I both have certainly aged five years. Uh, there's no question about that. And uh, no, it's great to be back. You do an awesome podcast. And uh, I've certainly noticed your, your content reinvigoration lately here. And I think it's great that people get to see and hear you even more because uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the products you put out and they're worth promotion. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's, let's kick it off with the uh, low-hanging fruit, if you will. What are some keys, fundamentals for Paris painting, breaking, wait for it, 10 million, Mark? Ooh, great question. Uh, so I saw somebody do a post the other day. It said, uh, eight figures is the new seven figures. And I thought that was pretty clever. You know, I'd say one of the keys has been inflation, right? It's been a great uh, five-year period of inflationary monetary policy. And, and uh, the dollars just naturally grow themselves. No. Um, well, I was going to jump in and say, I forgot to admit humble. <laughs> yeah. You know, like first thing you do is give credit to, Outside resources. <laughs> to, so to our Federal Reserve, which is neither federal nor is it a reserve. Uh, <laughs> they have an innate, an innate policy of quantitative easing as of late. And uh, that's French the beautiful lending. thing about our system is uh, the federal system will never run out of money because they can always print more money. And they've certainly tested those limits. Uh, but, you know, keys from when we last spoke, uh, Steve, you know, I'd say it's really, I would say when we spoke was probably the peak of my personal uh, output driving results. Uh, and that's where, you know, I certainly have not gotten three times more productive. Uh, I probably work, you know, a 10th of what I used to, uh, maybe a fifth of what I used to. And so it's not like uh, I have a secret hack of how one person does magical things. And you and I were joking a little bit before the podcast of people are always looking for like the super secrets uh, that people have. And I think that, you know, the super secret of, use a blue pen and this will change your life. And then people say, I knew it. I knew there was a secret. The secret was not 
working hard or empowering others or having a clear vision uh, or having a healthy culture and you know engaging in partnerships with a foundation of trust, it's using a blue pen. That's that's what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but that's a really the secret, you know, of how crossing to that eight figure mark for us. We've done it relatively quickly. So this is not something that's taken decades or even generations to build, uh, but really in empowering a team of people that has a unified vision. And the foundation of that is trust. And trust is a result of the culture and the character of everyone that comes on board. Uh, but it's not, yeah, it's not like I have done anything amazing and gotten three times more productive. I'm Prithvi Rakhiani, and we've got recruiting best practices, pain and training resources, and a bare pro sweepstakes coming your way in this PCA Minute. It's recruiting season. If you're wondering where all the good candidates are, we got you covered. There's an entire section on PCA Overdrive dedicated to hiring, recruiting, and retention. Curated from your favorite podcasts, expo sessions, and virtual events, you'll learn to hire and keep rock stars in your company. Just look for the hiring, recruiting, and retention lane on PCA Overdrive. Get your crew field ready faster with PCA's Painter Training. PCA Overdrive provides free access to painter training videos in English and Spanish. Our training portal offers a more in-depth learning experience through a guided pathway. Each module has an assessment and certificates are awarded at the completion of each level. To learn more, go to pcapaintedorg slash training. Finally, enter for a chance to win the Bear Pro Painter Sweepstakes. Price includes $5,000 worth of Bear, Kills, Graco, and 3M products. Visit pca.so slash Bear Pro Sweepstakes to enter now. So we make a big point in DYB to uh, lean in, and in, 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 it's either lean in and staffing up or lean in and generating leads. What, uh, obviously you guys lean into both, right? So I, I liken it to a skier going downhill, you know, you're leaning left, you're leaning right. And so you guys are just bobbing back and forth, but you just keep leaning. How, what are some keys for you to generate, uh, to build your team? Like, how have you been finding them? Right. Leads for finding a team and then also leads for customers because that's that's fast. Right. Yeah. Start on the, on the team side. Uh, you know, it's not a very fun answer, but it's networking referrals. Uh, so most of so my, my core partners and I, uh, there's five of us. We all went to college together. Three of us lived together. And uh, we called it. A, I don't know. It's either a discipleship house or a fellowship house. We never could decide. And I think that was the problem we had. Uh but we lived together in college for a year and uh, most of us know each other and then like people attract like people. And we, we kind of struck gold with our network of friend groups we have here. Mm. So we start with that. As you grow, you, that does not something that scales, right? So that only goes so far. And as you grow your org chart, there's two things that I always think about we're trying to balance. Uh, and it's, and it, it's about your risk tolerance. Well, the first item of risk tolerance is what is the person's competency to do the role that they're being asked to do, right? To enter into. So let's say you have a new opening in your org chart. Uh, you can hire someone who's done that before, or you can hire someone who has not done that before, but you think they can, right? And there's a certain percentage mark that you'd want to hit depending on your risk tolerance of how much of your org chart are you asking people to do new things or things that they've proven they can do. The second item is culture, right? Someone that has proven that they're within the culture or someone that you think is going to be in the culture. Right? And you're going to start to see those are the trade-offs oftentimes will fit, right? So let's say you have someone you say, I know they can do this. I know they fit the culture. I know they fit the culture, but I don't know if they can do this. I think they can, right? So I'm going to promote them. Or say, hey, I, I don't, we have too many people we're asking to step into new roles. So I'm going to go to the outside network. I'm going to recruit somebody who has this competency and has proven that they can get the results. But I'm taking a bit of a, a leap of faith on if they're going to fit the culture. 
right? And you're, you're balancing those two items as you grow, grow and scale. The second item was leads. And I'll just say, you know, we grew Paris painting and by far the biggest boom of trades that I think we'll ever see, uh, you know, really ramped up with the, the Biden bucks and the COVID boom uh, for the last couple of years there. <clears throat> but fundamentally, you know, I've heard, heard people say it's so hard to find uh, houses to paint, clients to paint for. <clears throat> There's a much louder scream coming from the clients who are saying, I cannot find a professional painting company uh, for the life of me. And it's just that belief that we have internally that I think drives some of our results that there is way more demand than supply for professional home services and painting. And that is not an, an element of who is going to get the job. It's really about how well can we execute our process? How well can we execute our business system to drive the results that we want? It's more of an internal focus of operations than saying, what is the market going to give us? We're not giving anything. We're going out there and we're earning it. Right on. Comes back to beliefs, habits. Back to uh, culture, real quick. So we hire uh, for character, and 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 what are you what are you doing to cultivate your culture? So there's rhythms you want to set into. So having a very clear foundation, you know, whether that's in your personal life or your organizational life, that's where it all starts from. And if there's not a firm foundation, uh, you're gonna have a lot of challenging, you know, dissenting opinions and dissenting voices and challenging winds that try and push you off of that. And if you're not rock solid in that. Uh, it's hard to build up. It's just hard to build up. So it's certainly worth taking the time, whether it's a multi-day retreat or just decades of life wisdom to say, what are we firmly rooted in, in our culture uh, that are non-negotiables, right? And that, that, helps to hide, that helps drive your, your hiring. That helps drive the rhythms that you want to enact or put in place in your company. Uh, most of these things are not magical. They're just doing it. But I think where most people get tripped up is, have you done the hard work to know what can be written in stone? There's some things you write in sand, some things you write in stone, some things you write on paper, right? But your, your core beliefs, your core objectives for the company, the value statements, those are things that do not change, right? From there, you hire for them, right? You put in weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual, fun things. Uh, these are all essentially reminders of what we believe. And again, th this translates to the personal life as well as the organizational life. People are not good at remembering what they want to do. I would say, I am not good at remembering what I want to do, right? I'm not good at, I have to be reminded constantly. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I want because my, my natural human tendency is to do things I don't want to do. And the hard part about this organization is that it's made up of people. <laughs> and made up of people a lot of like, are probably like me, right? Who will naturally drift towards chaos in their life. And they just, we all need reminders for what is this organization about? What are we trying to do? Uh, you know, the, the universe is trying to push us towards entropy and chaos and not doing what our core values are. And how do we stand firm against that? It takes reminders. So mm -hmm. hiring for it, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, quarter rhythms, annual rhythms. There's no secret sauce. It's doing the hard work from the beginning. Right on. Can you share some of your non-negotiables? So our core values, engaged, accountable, exceptional, grateful. And it's kind of in that order, right? So you have to be engaged into your role to even exist, right? If you're not going to get engaged, it's not going to work out, right? Once you're engaged, you now have the ability to become accountable, right? Accountable to your role, accountable to your performance, accountable to everyone that relies on you, whether it's your coworkers, uh, whether it's your clients, uh, whether it's the, the labor force you interact with, or even the shareholders of the company. Engaged, accountable. Once you're allowed to be accountable, we want to be exceptional, right? We all have these choices in life of, do I want to get by? or I want to fulfill the full purpose I've been given, 
right? And that's just the ethos of let's strive to be exceptional. And exceptional can mean different things to different people, but it's that fundamental uh, drive, culture, uh, ethos of settling versus becoming all you were called to be. And then there's always a foundation of gratefulness. I think this has certainly helped us in the trades as we've grown because we've all been to the paint store. We've all met that, that painter who thinks they are God's gift to humanity. And uh, that does not stay inside their heart. <laughs> that, that gets out pretty clearly to everyone yeah. that interacts with them. And mm-hmm. just having that humility and that grace goes a long way in this industry because it's just not very common. Uh, also, when you experience business success, how can you differentiate yourself from who you are and who the business is? I'm going to dovetail this off real quick to another concept, which is you are not your business. You are someone that runs a business or owns a business or operates in a business. Just because the business is doing well does not mean that you are a rock star. It means that the business is doing well. That's all that it means, right? So humble down this little bit. On the flip side, let's say you had a bad day, a bad week, a bad quarter. You've got some clients who are upset with you. You've got some employees that are uh, not very happy, that are turning over. Uh your van broke down, something happened. The business is having a tough time right now, right? That doesn't mean that you are bad, right? So just, I said, just like I said, humble yourself. I'd say, pick yourself up a little bit, right? You're still you. The company is not doing well today, but that doesn't mean that you are bad. It might mean that you're not running the company well. Let's reflect on that. Let's get to the roots, but don't let that be your identity of who you are. So humble yourself when the company is doing well, pick yourself up when the company is not doing well. Right on. That's awesome. Let's get into the holdings company if we shall. Sure, if we sure. can. Uh, so what is ELF? What does ELF mean? Yeah. Uh, what makes you guys so special? So I, I like to pronounce it Olaf because I like to say it's all of us together. Now, oh, okay. the original translation, the original pronunciation, I have no idea. It's probably like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who knows how it's really pronounced. I like to say Olaf because uh, yeah. it's all of us together. But, uh, you know, like I said, there was four really close friends of mine. We came together. And Alf is just the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, it was never anything when we founded it that it was going to be an outward-facing symbol or brand. But here we are today. Uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? It's the strength of the ox, the covering of the father. Uh, we've really latched onto that ox symbol, which is the pictogram mm-hmm. of it. And we like to view ourselves as partners. So we make investments in other painting companies that prefer to yoke up with our partners and plow the fields together. And so there's, whole, there's this whole meta picture People have heard me talk about the painting industry as being the Wild West. What happens to the Wild West? Eventually, it gets settled. Right? One way it gets settled is you've got the pioneers who are cowboys, and you have to be a cowboy to survive in the Wild West. But they begin to plow the fields and create these little towns of harvest. And the beautiful thing is, is you have one ox that's plowing a field. When it yokes up with another ox, it doesn't pull double its weight. It pulls four times its weight. And just the synergy that can happen when you're yoking up together with other people. Uh, yeah, fundamentally, all holdings, we come in as, as partners into companies 
uh, our niches that we're very active partners. And so we like to take very active roles in the businesses. Um, but that's just a little bit about all holdings. We also do investments in multifamily real estate. So participating in buying land, developing the land, uh, doing the build, and ultimately holding that as an asset. So for somebody who might be interested, but however is, you know, has a fear uh, or, you know, some scarcity, right? Uh, says, well, my goodness, give up part of my business. I, I can't do that. I've worked too hard to get here. I've got my family and we're kind of doing, for sure. we're doing well now. I don't know, we're 750, turned a million, million and a half or somewhere, you know. Um, what is, what is the benefit for them to consider this opportunity? Yeah, it really has to, it starts with where do you want to go? And I would say where all holdings is not a great fit is someone that's at that million dollar mark, $2 million, $3 million mark. They're very happy where they are and they want to continue doing what they're doing for a long time. And that is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not, we're not interested in partnering with those people. Uh, what you have there is called a lifestyle model. And it's, again, it's a beautiful thing. I, call, I like to call it the dentist model, right? And so dentists make great money, right? They make three, 400, 500 grand a year. Uh, they oftentimes don't work that hard. Right? They have their, Susie's making all the reception calls. They walk in, they're like, hey, Johnny, uh, how's that cleaning look? Oop, you, you, missed, you missed the cavity over there, right? But they are the founder, the owner, the one that ultimately runs it. If they stop showing up, uh, it wouldn't continue to run itself. There's these things that they do. Uh, mm-hmm. But they have a very, very nice job. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm gonna hop back to the painting company. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, when it's time to shut it all down, the hope is that one of their child wants mm-hmm. to run that company, so take on their job or that one of their employees, who's a key employee, will now take on that job as well. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of banking on someone has to take on that role for us to continue to run and to operate. Or maybe you sell your equipment, sell your leads for the first season. The companies that we're interested in partnering with want to turn it into a true asset, right? That's both stable and passive income. And so we want to continue to grow and scale for sure, but most importantly, stabilize. To do that is very hard. (laughs) That is... uh, I haven't met many companies, if any, <clears throat> in the painting business uh, that achieve that result, right? It's a very mm-hmm. difficult thing to achieve. I did not achieve that on my own. And so people are very impressed with Paris painting and, and I've been kind of out there in the ethos and we want to be very clear. I took on partners uh, for Paris painting to achieve that. That is typically how businesses get built here in America. Uh, but yeah, it, it come down to what do you want to achieve? Is it something that you believe you can achieve on your own? Uh, you'd be one of the first. <laughs> you'd be pretty rare to achieve that on your own. Uh, but if, even if you can, it's the, the second question is, uh, what's the likelihood that's going to happen, right? And these are kind of the triages of my mind that I go to whenever I take on a partner, whether it's in the painting businesses or even in real estate as a good example, right? Do I believe I can do it? What's the likelihood I can do it? Is that likelihood higher if I take on someone who's done it recently and had, had big success there and now wants to have an active interest in my company? The third would be quality of life. Right. So maybe I could build these apartments on my own. Right. Uh, maybe it's a 50 50 chance that they go well and I don't do something stupid because I'm going to learn uh, what I don't know. Uh, but do I want to do that in my life? Right. Does my family want to participate in that? And uh, this is just, I'm just, just realizing I'm talking myself through the decision matrix of when I started building these multifamily apartments. That's not something I have any desire to do on my own. I want to do that with partners. And that's kind of the decision tree of if you're a painting company that's kind of around that $1 million mark looking to grow, have a desire to build a stable asset of a company. Uh, the question would be, do you want to do that on your own? Do you think you can do that on your own? Uh, or would you rather do that with partners? That's the fundamental question. 
So what would that look like to them if you're vision casting and just kind of throwing up the potential, you know, on a, on a dry board? So, okay, we're here at a million, you're clearing two, 300,000 for yourself. But if we partner up um, five, 10, you know, five years down the road or so, it could look like what? Well, I'll just say as an investor, I'm not really excited about the company staying around that one to $3 million mark because that is what I would call a bad investment. I would not advise any investor to make an investment in a painting company that's doing less than three million bucks. Because what happens when Johnny doesn't want to run that business anymore? It stops producing profit for the investors, right? So we want to continue to grow this company and scale it so it has a true org chart that has some stability in place so that now you've actually invested in something that is stable. Uh, so you want a partner, if you're looking to take on a partner, take on a partner that's a, a smart investor, not a bad investor. A wise investor will want to turn this into an asset with you. Let's say you're running a million dollar business the business clears 15, 20% of profit, and then you make a little comp on top of that. So maybe it's a $300,000 uh, wage you're currently making. The goal would be, you know, let's get that race to, to 5 million bucks, right? So we get to 5 million. Now let's say, let's say it's shooting out. I don't think it's going to shoot out 20%. Let's say it's shooting out 15%. So you got 750 of profit. You don't own 100% of that anymore, right? You now own 60% of that. You've taken a minority partner to help scale you up to that. And you actually may not have any more comp in the business. That's up to you. And some people view that as a pro or a con, right? If you want all the dollars of compensation, you'd say, I want to continue to be the president of this business. Mm -hmm. What I found with myself and others is I'm happy to give up compensation and not be the president of a $10 million company, a $5 million company. Uh, Someone else can, can, can worry about that. I'll take my investments and reinvest those into other investments uh, and continue to play that game of capitalism. Mm. Right on. What's um, besides the size of the company? What's what's an ideal partner, client partner for you? Sure. Like how number one is shared vision. Like I said, they've got a one desire to run a business and not have an awesome job, and that's a paradigm that I think is shifting in the industry. Like that's kind of people don't even know what to shoot for. Right, this idea that you could have more than a really really nice job, but you could actually build a business that serves you as an asset, uh, not just as a role that you get to play. That's a unique and novel paradigm. First, first they have to have that. And then I'd say the second characteristic would be humility, right? The, there's a lot of humility in taking on partners. There's a lot of humility in saying, I don't know how to do things the best. I'm not going to be the best person at this. Uh, hey, I'd like you to lean in, Mr. Partner, and and hire and develop a sales team, right? I, I could do that, but I'm actually humble enough to know that I can't do that. <laughs> and I want you guys to do that instead. That requires humility, Uh I'd say that those are two fundamental things, shared vision, character, characteristic of humility. Yeah. So it's interesting, very similar to those who come into DYB, um, shared vision. They have to be what we would say is coachable. They need to be coachable. Yeah. You know, and then I think something you touched on earlier was just a, a burning desire to grow, a, the drive, the white hot fire. Uh, as Brown would say, you got to be hungry, you know. Um, <laughs> we all want to build an asset together, right? Yeah. If you're looking to have a, a nice, chill, two, $3 million company uh, where you get to play part-time sales rep and president. I'm happy for you. I'd love to, I'd love to help you. Uh, but as an investor, I'm not super excited about investing in that company. We got to grow this to some level of stability and you have to want that too. There's no right or wrong in these scenarios. It's just, and it's not even that they're a bad partner for us. It's just, there's no appetite for us to invest in something like that. 
Uh, well, I do. Uh, just a quick aside, I want to let you know that, or let li- listeners and viewers know that we've had members from DYB uh, go ahead and partner with you, and even a client. And um, so far, it's been fantastic. And so, yeah. you know, uh, the right goals alignment, vision alignment, and uh, win wins all the way around. So it goes both ways with us too, right? I, I, we've talked to plenty of painting contractors where the answer is we're not quite ready uh, to invest in this business, but. I do believe you need a coach because everybody, and I don't care what the sphere of life is, if it's, if it's business, uh, if it's uh, fitness, if it's diet, people perform better with a coach. And I've certainly, you know, have no, no qualms. I've referred plenty of people over to DYB and just said, you should definitely work with Steve uh, until you're at a point where that shared vision makes a lot of sense with all of uh, so it goes both ways. I appreciate you saying that. Yep, thank you. Appreciate you uh, as well. Let's circle back to the entry story of the uh, uh, the race and um, what's uh, so what's up with the ultra endurance races? Did Goggins kick that off for you, or where did uh, that inspiration? This is a little, yeah, Goggins is awesome. I think he's great. This is a pre Goggins. Uh, it, it's a cool question. It's a cool story. It's probably a little over over. I'd say say it too much, but it does. It just it's hit me so true to the core of who I am. And uh, I kind of spent a season of life, you know, committing myself to the business fully and neglecting my physical wellness. And then I got into like, a, I don't know if I call it egotistical, unhumble. Like there's this time where I was just interested in being jacked and uh, I only lifted weights for hypertrophy and there is nothing wrong with that. And I've met plenty of people who they think that is a great way for them to realize their potential and they're treating their body well. You're one of them, right? So I know you're getting jacked for that. <laughs> for that. I would just say for me, in my heart, I was doing it uh, to, to almost worship myself. Mm. I was doing it to worship myself. I was doing it for the uh, validation of others. Yeah. I cared. So it, like, it wasn't coming from a healthy place. Mm-hmm. COVID shut the gyms down. I said, um, I guess I'll start running. I started mm-hmm. running. Immediately loved it. And now mm-hmm. I, like, it feels very, very true to the core of who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoy these ultra endurance races. So I've done, and I, I've done a full distance Ironman. I've done a 50 mile trail run, did a hundred tra- mile trail run last fall. Going back to that same hundred this, this fall, trying to be a little more competitive, uh, as competitive as I can be. Mm-hmm. I've got some pretty goal, big goals and ambitions for 2024 and 2025, but um, it started just because of COVID shook our, our rhythm up and yeah. knocked oh, yeah. me off of that weightlifting, uh, hypertrophy, uh, inward focused track mm-hmm. that I was on uh, that had some good elements to it as well. But I just say at the core, it was pretty unhealthy for me. Mm-hmm. And it's got me into something that I just feel aligns with mm-hmm. something in me, something mm-hmm. in me just loves it. That's awesome. Uh, fitness, you know, we geek out about that love fitness. So you and I, so yeah, you and I actually text quite a bit because yeah. uh, I know you've been hitting it hard. Uh, mm-hmm. You're getting, in, you're getting into all this stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Love it. Uh, that's okay. So, uh, yeah, running. So I was, I was just thinking about the the trail runs. How dangerous are those? Because you, you get going and a lot of times you just, you know, you think about something you're going, you're thinking, but, you know, you could twist an ankle on a route or I'm you know, just thinking of, through yeah. some. Man. There's a couple things. You do, we, I do a lot of ankle mobility and ankle strength work, but a great thing about trail running, it really forces you to be present in the moment. And there's kind of a flow and a Zen that really comes with that. And, you know, one of the elements of flow is you need to be doing something that's challenging that, uh, it isn't automatic and you can't, you can't, it's not like a given that you're going to succeed. Uh, and this is, and there's like an inherent amount of danger that requires your full attention. Uh, so like when I'm running in the trails of, you know, Minnesota, it's not, not too crazy, but I like to go to Alaska quite a bit. Uh, my family, I took the family up there four times in a year. Uh, and, and I love running the mountains and 
there's an element of danger when you're running up in the mountains and there's no cell service and you're you're trying to you know hit a new PR or or hit a Strava segment super hard or whatever it may be. Uh, but that that is like uh, the double edged sword of of flow, right? Something that requires your focus and attention uh, has an element of risk or an element of danger to it. Um, it's like you can't achieve the fullness in life without a little bit of pushing the envelope. Right on. What uh, what are some apps that you're using? Uh, Strava would be the one. So Strava is like the social network of and people who if it didn't, if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. Yeah, what the kids like to say. Um, <laughs> That and then I use an app. I work with a coach for for running. It's called Final Surge, and he and I communicate, and he crafts a, a schedule and a plan for me on that. What is your sleep habits? Uh, so I have a one month old. So mm-hmm. bad question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so he's this is number five. Yeah. So this is my our fifth. So we have five kids aged yeah. eight and under right okay. now. Uh, so I'm very grateful to my partners in the office that allow me to. Uh, take the time needed to, to help help support my family and and do all the things that I love and enjoy outside of that. I mean, in an ideal world, if I, the answer is like consistent sleep every night. I'll just tell you that does not happen. Uh, one thing that I instituted about a year ago was chilled sleep overnight. So I have this pad on my bed that chills down the temperature to 63 degrees. And it's not like not getting cold on it. The thing that I have noticed if I ever go to a hotel is... It's just, it's, it's less about cooling you down. Uh, and it's more about not allowing your body to heat up the mattress yeah. from, my, from my perspective. From my Is opinion. that a chili pad or an Uller? That's right. Yeah. The, the Uller, Uller okay. thing. Yeah. That's, what, uh, that's what we used to. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought, I thought you'd be on that. You, you and I are both on quite a bit of body hacking things. Yeah. Uh, I like to do the sauna before bed. So with that concept of getting your core body temperature low, gets you really deep REM sleep. So it's a little counterintuitive because you go in the sauna to heat yourself up but then it forces your body temperature to your body to try and work your temperature down. So it's good to do that before you go to sleep. If you jump into a cold tub before you go to sleep, then your body's working to increase your core temperature. It gets a little bit of counteraction, counterbalance there. Um, but the big, I mean, the big secrets of sleep, again, they're not hacks. They're not tricks. You know, you're kind of chasing those final percentage points when you start cooling down your sleep or uh, maybe getting blackout blinds or, you know, yeah, yeah. We've got the, 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 the number one hack to sleep is, enough volume uh, with consistency. And if you can do that, you've hit 90% of the gains and then you're chasing that last 10%. Right on, right on. Which is hard to do with a newborn. And it's kind of like like Russian, it's like you're gambling every night, like Russian roulette. It's like, who's going to have, who's going to puke tonight? Who's going to come into my bed crying because they had a bad dream? With five kids, it's pretty good odds that it's someone every single night. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Hey there. I bet business is probably picking up for you right now and things are feeling good. And using the right tools like Estimate Rocket can help keep it that way. Estimate Rocket offers professional estimates and proposals with digital signature, single source work orders for the entire team, lead to paid job management, full scheduling tools with mapping and time tracking, automated email campaigns, invoicing that exports to any accounting system, and deep data analysis reports. Go to EstimateRocket.com for a free 30-day trial to see if Estimate Rocket is a fit for you. How about uh, diet, breakfast smoothies? Yeah, so you've probably seen it. So I've been uh, – how did this start? Oh, I had both – I had four wisdom teeth taken out at once. Oh, four? Uh, yeah, so I had all four taken out. Knocked them out. Uh, I did that. My wife started making me smoothies, yeah. and I'm a man of – 
uh, high utilitarianism. And so I love efficiency. I was like, this is super efficient. Uh, and so now for, I don't even know, four years, it's been smoothies for breakfast every single day. This is what I had this morning. Here we go. Giant jar of, of smoothie, polish it off. But yeah, just it's a, it's, a, it's a nice way to not have decision fatigue, keeps you consistent. You know, there's these side, the, the, weird, the weird things that people say, like your body doesn't have to work on digesting solid foods for the first half of the day. Some people believe that that, that helps a little bit. Uh, people ask me <clears throat> if you lose weight drinking smoothies. I, I usually drink it because I need a lot of calories coming in. It's very, you can consume a lot of calories pretty easily with something like this, as opposed to having to chew that all uh, with your mouth and your jaw. So they're great ways to get all the calories that you need in during a day when you're doing some some heavier endurance work. Or for you, like yeah, I know you're trying to get jacked, and uh, <laughs> not so much jack. So I've been underweight. But let me just call it. It's not for everybody listening. Like Steve's turned into some meathead. No, no, no. Steve's not on that. trend. <laughs> <laughs> Steve is not on trend. He's very holistic. Yeah. So uh, I've been underweight my whole life. Like in high school, six feet tall, 135 pounds. You know. Sure. So for the first time in my life, I, I, I had a trainer, not my first trainer, but the first trainer who said, look, you need a gram of protein for every pound you want to weigh. So I started eating 200 grams of protein a day, mostly from chicken. And sure enough, like I finally started to put on muscle. I went, oh, my goodness, it is possible. Yeah. So I got excited, you know, got me really inspired and excited. And it's like, cool. So I've been working on that just to get strong, you know, because I've always been underweight my whole life. And so that's where that came from. Uh, Especially working. as you age, Steve, you're, st- you're starting to get to that age where uh, <laughs> you got to make sure that you have that strength and stability, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if we keep buying these 80 pound bulldogs. You know? <laughs> so uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, there's uh, something to that too. I'll just speak on like, there's these very simple equations in life and uh, you know, you can chase the final 10%. Like I said, if you want to sleep well, get enough volume, get it consistently, if you want to lose weight, expend more calories than you eat. If you want to gain weight, eat more calories than you expend. And uh, it's like these very simple things that people oftentimes primarily focus on that last 10% of gains. Like, yeah, that's great, but I'm going to start with supercharging my bed routine. And I'm going to start with like taking trend and creatine or whatever it is. It's like, no, let's, start, let's just start with eating more calories than... Uh, we expend. And I think, I think let's just start with that. Let's do that for two years, yeah. see where we're at. And I mm-hmm. bet you're going to get where you want to go. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people say, well, okay, but what else are you doing? Protein, you know, eating right, right sleeping right, eating healthy, you know, yeah, the, the, a day. No, but what else? Like what? Well, this is like an, inst- it's like an Instagram social media thing where I even think of like, uh, I mean, it's easy. Sports athletes performances are just one of the more highly visual things that we get to consume. And so people are always interested in like, what are the weird, quirky, niche workouts that people are doing? Uh, but there's just such a power of to like the full body <clears throat> of evidence versus like these tiny little waves that hit up. And it's like, well, it's really about consistent effort that's progressive over a long period of time. And like, yeah, there's like that one clip where they're doing like weird band stuff and like, oh, they're like, but that is to get like the frog hairs, like the last mm-hmm. 2% of gains. Or think about it as like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At the bottom, you have volume of exercise, right? Then you have like consistency Then you have adequate rest and recovery. Uh, and you have good nutrition. And then at the top, you have hyperbaric chambers. Yeah. And people want to start with the hyperbaric chamber yeah. without putting <laughs> in the rest of the work. It's like, well, if that's your foundation. Like, look, look yeah. mm-hmm. so there's something to that that's deeper. That's probably a metaphor to business, but uh, 
I'll let, I'll let our letter viewers connect those dots. There you go. Right on. <laughs> so uh, Bible reading. But first, we need to circle back to mammon. How do you yeah. uh, handle the fear of mammon? And what is mammon? So mammon, it's one of those funny words. means a lot of things to a lot of people, Steve. Uh, people, if you look it up, it's referenced in, in the Bible. Uh, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Right? Mm-hmm. Mammon is oftentimes depicted as money or finances, uh, the traps and control that come into there. I like to view mammon as uh, not just financial shackles, but all the shackles that we choose to put on ourselves. So there are systems, there are structures that man creates mm-hmm. to enslave itself, right? So this could be financial is the most common, right? We choose to put ourselves, we choose to overconsume beyond our needs, uh, mm-hmm. beyond our means, which puts us into debt, which means that we have to serve that debt before we can serve anything else we would like to serve, right? Maybe the Lord, mm-hmm. I don't know, or, mm-hmm. or or hedonism, or whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever people like to serve, you can serve whatever mm-hmm. you want. Uh, another example would be pride, mm-hmm. greed, envy. Uh, th- those, these are all things that will shackle us if we allow them to, so that we are now serving that spirit, mm-hmm. and we are not serving what we want to serve. And so that's what mammon means to me. Conquering the fear of mammon, you know, there's nothing that can combat uh, it better than what you would call the Shabbat, or the, sorry, the Shalom. The Shabbat, mm. not the Shabbat. Shabbat's great too. The Shalom, which is the peace of God, right? And so the peace mm. of God will combat, you know, that desire of consumerism that will put you in debt, that, that drives you to spend beyond your means, uh, that, that envy, that, that lust, uh, mm. the lack of humility. Uh, these are all things that you could serve, but you're not really, you almost naturally want to serve those things. And it requires like this constant battle back by using the peace of God, right? Mm-hmm. And finances will then boil us down to, well, why do you have conquering the fear of mammon in your whole, like, I like this document that reminds me every single day, week, month, year, what do I want to do in my life? And this is under like the vocational element of my life is mm-hmm. conquering the fear of mammon. Why is it in that area? Well, let's boil it down to even just financial. There's this very simple equation in life where if you can have enough assets that outweigh the liabilities, outweigh the liabilities in life, you have a lot of choices in what you can choose to serve, right? And so that's, when we say conquering the fear of mammon, it's this rat race of consumerism, right? This envy, this greed, this lust, uh, but also what's on the other side of the equation? Can we start to build out this legacy of asset mindedness mm-hmm. uh, that everyone can choose to participate in? The goal is to have the assets outweighing the liabilities that allow you the decisions of what you choose to serve. Right on. Right on. That's fantastic. Would you, uh, would you say that mammon in its most simplest form would be uh, false idols? Yes. Yeah. It's something that you, yeah, you are choosing to serve that. And sometimes it uh, feels like mammon does not have power over you unless you give it power, right? But once it it doesn't feel like a choice when you're in it, right? Uh, Yeah, I think those are all, I'm just thinking through what you said. I think you're right. I think they're all false idols that we choose to serve. They're just not very kind masters. (laughs) And that's the unfortunate part is it seems great. I would love to serve lust, uh, to serve greed, uh, to serve this consumeristic desire. 
that sound, I, those are all idols that you could serve in life. Mm-hmm. They just, when they come back at you, they are not kind masters. Uh, yeah. They actually want to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And this comes down to like a more meta principle. I'm fun, I love talking to you about this because I know you and I have very similar paradigms. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just say that Satan does not like humanity. <laughs> right. He was pretty pissed off at God for giving humanity all the domain and dominion and control that we have, uh, not just in the physical world, but in the spiritual world. And so uh, the devil is not a fan of you. <laughs> he, he's pretty pissed <laughs> off at what God did. And uh, he would love to destroy you. And, you know, there's, there's like not a lot of power that he has over you until you choose to give that. And uh, so now we're getting deep, right? Get a, get a bunch of hate mail on Twitter from people. But uh, that's what I believe. This, these are some philosophical principles. I know I can talk to you about it pretty openly. And, yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And, they, certainly, uh, they certainly, there are very, very clear lines of truth, uh, whether you believe in the reality of it or you just want to accept the philosophy of it. Uh, that impact both our lives and business. Mm-hmm. Wrap it Indeed. all in. Indeed, I agree, one hundred percent. Thank you. What's uh, what's what's your current Bible reading? Uh, so I kind of hop around here and there. Um, I follow a plan on my Bible app, kind of like most everyone. Uh, I was going through Romans today, and so man, I'd say something that I've struggled with for a long time is I'm very spiteful. <laughs> okay. And uh, you know, I think I think. That has driven a lot of success in my life too. I like to prove people wrong. Uh, somebody, so whether it's real or made up, sometimes I'll make up little slights or spites to, that people really didn't mean. But uh, you say like, I'm going to use that to motivate me and, and drive me. And that's not coming from a super healthy place. That's not a very strong foundation to grow from. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just acknowledge that. So I've been working through that. There's this verse in Romans uh, I was reading through today. It was something around the lines of, um, it was like, don't seek revenge. Don't seek revenge on others. Uh, save that for the Lord. And it was like this weighty thing of like, uh, if I had the correct perspective of what the consequences are of um, perceived slights or, or injustices towards myself, uh, I would not, even if I had a, ne- even if I had a negative heart, <laughs> I would not want to seek justice myself because I knew that what was coming uh, was going to be so much greater and so much more, um, justful, right? The, the thing I thought about when I read this verse was, um, so again, everyone else can skip this thing, but you and I will keep talking. What I thought about was when Jesus was on the cross and he's just getting, that's a bad day. <laughs> that's like, he's getting hammered. This has not been good. Uh, flogging, he, leading him. Now, if I were, if I were Jesus, watch out for humanity. It'd be a bad day for them. Uh, but instead of seeking, revenge in that moment, which you certainly could take. Uh, Jesus instead cries out and says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think the reason for that is that Jesus, more than anybody, obviously, uh, understood the consequences, the eternal consequences uh, that comes from the justice of the Father. And it's like, if I knew, if I truly understood and had ingrained in my heart the consequences that come from a righteous injustice driven God, I would be pleading for mercy for those who have uh, done, done wrong to me. I would not be trying to seek revenge on my own. I would instead be pleading to God to say, Lord, I, I pray for their deliverance because what is coming is real bad. And I would not worship that. I'm a worst enemy. Uh, so I, I have to continue to work through that in my heart. Cause like I said, somebody slights me and you know, I'm coming back real passive aggressive for like five years in a row. 
Um, yeah. I got to get, I got to see, rip, rip that out of my heart. Um, yeah, that's what I was reading through today. And it just connected those two dots and it actually hit a little through line or a thread in my, in my heart, in my life. So I pulled up my notes from my Bible study this morning and here's my main takeaway. Feelings of being mistreated indicate a focus on self and not on Christ. Dude. Yeah. You're not around the same wavelength. And sometimes that just <laughs> happens. And uh, there's a lot of things that just seem to happen in life. And, and mm-hmm. uh, that's awesome, man. I love that you were reading through that this morning and, and that's super cool. Does your business need more reviews? Nice job can help. Our reputation marketing platform automates review invites to save you time. Reviews are collected and distributed across major platforms such as Google, Facebook, and more. Turn your reviews into customer stories with photos that you can share across your social channels. NiceJob allows you to manage all of this within our platform. Start your free trial today. Yeah, thank you. I'm going through a study called uh, Self-Confrontation Discipleship Bible Study. It's the best Bible study I've ever been through. Hands down. In fact, we we bought extra copies to hand out and recommend it to clients and members and friends and everybody. Uh, Self-confrontation discipleship Bible study. Uh, it's, it's one of those I wish I would have found earlier. You know, um, yeah, indeed. And then uh, have you ever done an inductive Bible study? I don't know what that word means. No. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I didn't either till like two, three weeks ago. My pastor said, hey, Steve, would you like to do an inductive Bible study with me? Or said, have you ever done an inductive Bible study? I said, I don't believe so. And um, so there's an actual Bible called the Inductive Study Bible. And I'm just getting started. So I, I don't know the process, but it's it's a deep dive into the context of what's going on, which I love because it's like yeah. I want all the facts. Okay. I don't want your feelings. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want something taken out of context. Like I want the whole story. And so this is what the inductive uh, study appears to be. So I'm excited uh, to get into that as well. There's a very deep well. It's a, it's fun when there's a deep, deep well. It's like the more you dig, the more water there is. And uh, that's one of the fun things. And again, whether you view the Bible as a historical document uh, that was inspired by people that were on mushrooms uh, or despite inspired by uh, the spirit of God, you know, it, it is pretty cool how well it holds up to uh, any any kind of philosophical digging. It's a deep well. The deeper you dig, the more water there is. Yeah, yep, absolutely, absolutely. What's your current uh, thesis on how to improve the painting industry? Okay, so I do not make a lot of friends in the painting world sometimes because I uh, am not maybe super, there's like a lot of hard truths that I think people need to hear. And uh, one is that, most of y'all should not be running businesses, right? Uh, the painting industry is full of people that should not be running businesses. And this is a circular issue. I think a lot of people are forced to start companies, right? So the challenge here is there are not good businesses in place. If there were, people would not be leaving them to start their own businesses. But if you're good at, if you're a good painter and you want like upward mobility in your life, you want to realize your potential, uh, you want to drive and see all that you're made to be very, very, very unlikely you find that working for anybody else in painting, right? There's not like large organizational structures where you can have upward mobility, be given like responsibilities, grow as a person, uh, be around a good culture, have a clear job description. That's like, you can have stability in your life. I mean, this is like the, the people are being driven away from working at painting companies to where they are almost forced to start their own business, right? And then they're not really, they should not be running a business. 
they would be a great mid-level manager at a painting company. They're not a force to start their own business, which means that they're not a great lead. They're not good at you know pulling the whole thing. And then they hire people. And guess what? They're not getting a great experience either. So they start on their own. This is like death spiral that's happening. Uh, that is not good. And I think the it's like the slow change that happens of we just need more professional business entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I always hear, I've heard it scream for a long time. I don't want to, you know, poo-poo it too much, but there's no good painters out there. There's no painter. I can't, I can only have more painters. I'd be more successful in business. It's like, well, you know, that sounds like it's a problem. You know what entrepreneurs do? They solve problems. You are complaining. <laughs> you, are, you have no business running a business. It sounds harsh. It is what it is. I would just say I've met painting companies and they will, they will figure out how to hire 20 painters this year. And you're telling me you can't find two. The reason you can't find painters right now is because you've maxed out of your internal network or the things that you've tried to do with limited resources. You're not committing the resources. You're not doing the problem solving. The minute we drop 100,000 more painters into this market, there's going to be a scream from all the business owners saying it's impossible to teach anyone how to do bids. <laughs> no one else can sell like I can. I can't figure it. It's not impossible. I need, and like, that's where I get like a little frustrated with yeah. some of the larger players of the industry where bureaucracies will start initiatives. Mm. Entrepreneurs solve problems. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that you solve this industry is you empower entrepreneurs to solve problems. Mm-hmm. You don't try and create initiatives that solve problems for business owners that can't solve things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, I don't think that's that's the answer. So I think it's driving more business talent in this industry. I think that's part of it. I mm-hmm. think Olive is going to be a part of that by proving that you can build equity in the mm-hmm. painting industry. Mm-hmm. Right? Not a lot of great, not a, not a lot of MBAs are getting in saying I want to start a painting company right now. Right. It's not but you know what they are doing? They are starting breweries. They're starting farms. Uh, they're starting dental practices, accounting practices. I don't know. They're starting things that have equity in them because the best business minds in this country are not interested in earning an income. They're interested in gaining equity, specifically one that can have stable and passive income for the rest of their life. Right. And we used to have this, this scenario where people would start breweries because they like to drink. They love drinking. Why wouldn't I start a brewery? You know who starts painting companies right now? People love painting. Why wouldn't they? They love painting. MBAs are starting breweries because they create equity. Now that there's a market for it, right? And if there ever becomes a day where there's a, a market for the equities of painting companies, because the, the expectation that they scale up to a, a stable business, that is going to drive things quicker than this bureaucratic solving of problems for people that should not be running a business in the first place. Hmm. So how do we... Raise the standard, improve the industry. Allofholdings.com. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I think I think it, you get you get it from two directions. So another another way you look at it is you know all the licensed trades, the plumbers, the HVAC, the electrical. If you were in the Twin Cities, uh, like in the 80s, 70s, you would see a lot of chuck in the trucks driving around, right? And you know who knows what pricing you get? You get great deals, right? Now, now <laughs> there are no chuck in the trucks unless you're like a savvy investor and you know people uh, for your rental properties, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to call someone, you're getting charged uh, a whole lot of money, but you also are going to get a, an estimate right away, prompt service, great communication, uh, very transparent pricing, right? Uh, strong corporate ethos of accountability, right? This starts partly from the demands of the clients. And so what I think happens 
This is my thesis a little bit, right? So you get these outliers of professionalism as an industry, and they are creating unrealistic for the time expectations among the client base and to an extent among their employees as well. It's the clients that are going to drive the professional of an industry more than anything else. What they demand uh, is going to drive the adoption. And so if clients say, oh, I got a taste of clear communication, prompt scheduling, uh, very straightforward pricing, uh, you know, a clear ethos of accountability. Once they get a taste of that, if they start to demand it, the market will match that. Right. And so it's, there will always be a, an underbelly market. So people say like, oh, that's, you know, not, there's always going to be low bidders, right? It's kind of like food preferences. You know, people are going to shop, shop at, you know, the, the fancy Manny steakhouse. Uh, most people are not, they're going to go to Chick-fil-A, Olive Garden, uh, Red Lobster, right? Mm-hmm. Then some people want to take a step down, go to the food trucks. And there will always be a market of people that are looking to, you know, resell and rebuy food from the dumpster, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You're never going to get rid of that whether yeah. it's in food consumption or in the painting industry. Mm-hmm. So just allow that to happen. But if, if consumers get a taste for what professional services can offer, mm-hmm. professional home services offer, and they start to demand that, the market will rise to meet it. And I think one of the best, so you have to, you count, it, it all is cyclical together, right? A few yeah. outliers create this unrealistic demand that is then met by high quality business talent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be flocking into the industry more than we're going to build it up out of it. And that's, that's the controversial part where I don't, I don't know if, I don't know how much we're building up the industry Mm -hmm. as opposed to pulling into. I think technology is helping, is helping to pull up the industry as well. So um, being able to, you know, book right from the website, being able to present right on the spot. That's great. Yeah. Clients love that. And I know, I know with your, uh, with your coaching group, the things that you do, you know, connecting all these pieces of technology together, uh, that is becoming almost the expectation. And I would say five years ago, when I first did this podcast, if you had a scheduling widget on your website, it was like, holy cow. Uh, I hope you like spending a very low marketing uh, dollar amount because your ROI just skyrocketed, right? It's, it's just, it was amazing. Now, here we are five years later, show how the industry changes. If you don't have a scheduling widget on your website, <laughs> yeah. it's more of like, well, I hope you like spending a lot of marketing dollars because your ROI is taking a dive because it's just, it's the opposite, right? And you see those adaptations again, you know, it's, it's been cool. I know that you work. And when I look at your clients, uh, a lot of them have great websites. It's, it's no mistake. Uh, yeah. Your, your, your ability to connect all these technological pieces uh, certainly drives, drives it there. I appreciate that very much. Jason, this has been a blast. Uh, again, it's been awesome. I know we're going to get a ton of positive feedback from it. So thank you very much for your time uh, again. And uh, I'm grateful for our friendship and, and our conversations. I'm grateful for you and your inspiration. Is there a question uh, I should have asked or a final comment or point you'd like to make before we roll out? Um, I don't think so. I appreciate you too, man. I think you're a good force for the industry. You and I have had good rapport and and uh, I'm gonna try and get out to Tennessee and, and see you sometime, hopefully this fall or late summer. Uh, I would say to, to people that are interested in all holdings, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Happy to talk through it. I'm a big believer in partnerships in life, whether it's to raise a family, to do real estate transactions together, or to build an asset to something that's be, or to build a painting company into an asset that that outlives yourself, uh, serves beyond yourself. Those are all things I'm passionate about. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me and love to talk way. to people about it. They can uh, get all of you. 
Yep. Best way to get a hold of me is honestly through social media because uh, I'm not going to give people my cell number. You can call me. I just don't answer it. If you find my cell phone somewhere, you can text me uh, and then we can have a conversation. But no, shoot me an email, uh, Jason at Paris hyphen painting, uh, Jason at Olaf hyphen MGMT, which stands for management, uh, jasonparis.m at gmail.com. They all go to the same place. But you know me, I'm a millennial, so social media, shoot me a message and I'll give you a quickest response. Awesome. Right on. Thanks again, Jason. Appreciate you very much. Thanks, Steve. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 